Welcome to the 34 Circe Salon. We journey from the ancient world to the cosmos. Take the adventure, Take with, the adventure us. With, us. with us. With us. With us. With us. With us. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America and world. From border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea, welcome to the 34 Circe Salam, the Parallax Channel. And today, we are in Hollywood land, and you can betcha it's going to be swell. My name is Sean Marlon Newcomb, and I will be your host for the festivities. As always, please be kind and leave a lovely comment or an insanely high rating on whatever podcast platform you're using. Today, we're discussing Classical World at the Movies, specifically, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And to discuss this legendary pick, two legendary guests, perfect for it. First, our guest scholar, a Homeric scholar and archaeologist who has explored ruins from Machu Picchu to Greece and was the inspiration for Indiana Jones, representing the UCLA Bruins, Dr. Gary Stickle. And I wish I got that reception while I was teaching, okay? All right. And our special guest, a cinema legend. An editor who has worked on such films as Raising Arizona, Raging Bull, and Armageddon, representing the Cornell Big Red, Michael <laughs> Miller. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, welcome. How are you guys doing? Doing well, thank you. Good, good. This is I, I, I have really been looking forward to this, so this, is, this should be a lot of fun. We're going to talk about Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Um, Gary, why, why would we have uh, a Homeric scholar and a cinema legend talk about, oh, brother, where art thou? What would be the overlap with the classical world and this movie? Tell us a little bit about that, Gary. Well, I uh, I think we're both relevant because the Coen brothers uh, said they based their film on Homer's Odyssey, yet they also said they, they never read it. <laughs> I find that funny. Well, that's um, it. well how, how is it related? Oh, sorry, Michael. Go ahead. Jump right well, in. I was going to say, I, I find it funny and completely credible. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, why is that? What would they? Oh, just uh, There's a certain perverseness that they have. And, and when they say they haven't read the Odyssey, what they're not sharing is that they're extremely literate and extremely literary. Um, and so what they have said is their knowledge of the Odyssey is based on other works, other stories that are themselves based on the Odyssey. And, uh, so, 
And in so, addition, you know, they have kind of a Cliff Notes version, comics version of the Odyssey. Okay, so like, like a Cliff Notes version of that kind of knowledge yeah. of the Odyssey. Okay. Well, let's all right. Let's do this. So I want to hear about the Coen Brothers uh, and what and where you what you glean from that. Just having worked with them, because we'll talk about your experience with them. Uh, and Gary, what where are the connections? Just so the for the listener, just give a quick overview of the Odyssey. I mean, people who listen to this podcast will of course know it, but we may have some new friends joining us. So a quick overview of that and just maybe very quickly point out where there is some where the, the connection is in this film. Well, George Clooney, uh, the star of the film, uh, his character is called Ulysses, which is the ancient Roman preferred name for uh, Odysseus. Mm-hmm. Odysseus is one of the kings of Greece that uh, went to fight in the Trojan War, and then the Odyssey is Homer's epic poem about his um, his troubled uh, return voyage home that took 10 years, sacred number, by the way, um, and he meets up with all these gods and monsters and, uh, and, and, and interesting, a lot of women, uh, some of whom are shown in, in the Coen Brothers film, um, so it's the story of his journey home, Ulysses or Odysseus, the journey home after the Trojan War, a journey which takes 10 years, and he is beset, he, his experiences are battling monsters and going past the gods and meeting beautiful goddesses, that sort of thing. Would that be fair to say, a fair yes, summary? Yes, and, um, right. and then Holly Hunter played his wife or ex-wife, uh, Penny, which is derived from Penelope, the uh, this is beautiful wife and queen. Uh, the difference is, is uh, Penelope in, in the Odyssey poem is very faithful to Odysseus, absolutely loves him, and uh, waits for him for 10 years and uh, fends off all these uh, suitors that are trying to uh, marry her and take over the palace and the kingship and, and have a beautiful wife. So she fends him off. So she's uh, considered one of the the great women of of history, you know, the, so ethical and everything. In the meantime, Odysseus is having love affairs with goddesses like Calypso and, mm-hmm. and Circe and so on. Um, little a little gender imbalance that we often talk about. A little gender imbalance. Yeah, but anyhow, mm-hmm. uh, her portrayal in the movie of Penny is very opposite from Penelope, and, yes. and yes. You know, she, she wants to. So. Indeed. So she wants, to, she wants to dump Odysseus and, uh, and marry a, another man that isn't going to get arrested all the time. Yeah, go ahead, Michael. It's a very funny. It's a very funny thing, Mike. So, what's I? What do you pick up of what the Cohen brothers bring to it? Because obviously, there's a lot of really funny twists on the tail that happen throughout. So, what's yeah, your thing? I, I, and also, I, I, tell us about your Cohen brothers' background because I we didn't really get into that. So, tell the listeners what your relationship is with the Cohen brothers. Sure. And, and before we do, I just want to say, you know, Gary, I'm sure had so much more to say, you know, John Goodman plays a, a character who wears an eye patch, who is the Cyclops. And, um, you, you know, there is a blind, there are two actually blind visionaries, one of whom loves music. I mean, there are so many connections to the Odyssey. So the Cohen brothers not having read the Odyssey is like most people having, study the Odyssey in a classics department at a great university for decades. Um, seriously, I mean, they knew it inside and out. And 
connected to it very deeply. Had I one of the things I loved about working with him, and I'll talk about how that came to be and what I worked on with him in a second. But they loved to laugh, and and you know, various things make them laugh. You know, extremely violent scene in one of their movies in which no one got hurt on set makes them laugh. Um, the idea that Penelope hasn't been faithful and is planning to marry some one of her suitors, um, I know, must have made them laugh. Um, but in answer to your question, you know, Fortuna, I met them so fortuitously in a weird way. It's one of those things where you think back and think, my goodness, if I had left my apartment two seconds later, uh, I would never have met them. I was a, a, a hot summer day in the early 80s, and I ran into someone I knew who was an aspiring sound editor. He had edited sound on John Waters' Polyester. Um, <clears throat> and I ran into him in Midtown Manhattan, uh, and... Uh, I said, where are you going? He said, oh, I'm going to meet these two guys from Minneapolis who are independently financed a film. Um, you want to come with me? And I did, and there were these two guys editing their own film <clears throat> that they had financed uh, with very small investments through uh, that were uh basically solicited by a childhood friend of theirs who had become a professional fundraiser. Um, and he thought, oh, yeah, I'll go to my dentists and doctors and lawyers and I'll, I'll get these in it. And the film was blood simple. I met them. I thought I have to work with them. I lied my way into the job by pretending I could edit sound. Um, and I did. You know, it was pretty good. Um, and well, I knew a lot about it. Um, what happened to the other sound guy? Because the other sound well, no, guy he was... was the supervising sound editor. Oh, okay. we shared screen credits. There wasn't, so we received equal billing on the film. Mm -hmm. um, but he knew much more than I did, I think. Um, and then somewhere in there, I revealed to them that I really was someone who was an editor, not a sound editor. Um, and I got my audition. For them, when they came back from Los Angeles, not having sold the film, um, it, it was a very interesting journey for them. And, and I'll tell it now because you can edit this, so you. Yeah, can no, I, I'm curious. So they, they, because um, it's a classic. So they went out to now. LA trying to sell Blood Simple, mm -hmm. um, which I knew was a, a wonderful film, but I kept badgering them about how we should cut ten minutes out. Um, they went out there and they would meet, they met everyone in Hollywood, including Steven Spielberg, including John Landis was very helpful to them. But basically, here's what people were saying to them. They said, this is a wonderful film. You clearly have talent. We're not going to distribute this film. But hey, we have something coming up. Weekend at Bernie's Four or whatever it was is coming up. Hey, would you like to direct that? Well, in their... Very clever minds. Weekend at Bernie's three or four or whatever it was became a wrestling picture for Wallace Beery. And if you know the Coen brothers, I'm referring to yes, yeah. As, <laughs> um, 
So, so that and the fact that Frances McDormand, who was married to Joel, was appearing in a revival of a Clifford Odets play on Broadway, you know, led to, uh, I'm blocking the name for some reason. Um, Barton Fink? Barton Fink, yeah. yeah. Um, and with John Turturro, who's in this film. Um, who I, I just want to give a shout out because I think he's one of the great American actors and I, I think agree. he gets overlooked. Couldn't so. agree more. And, and I had the privilege of editing him uh, in Miller's Crossing. By the way, Michael, can you tell the listener uh, what connection Miller's Crossing has to Michael Miller? So, yeah, I, I, you, know, you know, any writer, but the Coen brothers uh, in particular, use names of people they know when they're writing a work in progress. And they named a location in the film after me. Um, and they tentatively named the title after that location. <clears throat> Miller's so, Crossing. Um, so Miller's Crossing is named for you. Yes. And, and then they just never changed the title. Um, but anyway, so... That's, they, that's, that's an amazing, that's an amazing story. story. What's that? That's an amazing story. It's an amazing bit of cinema history you're part of. Because I guess that's so. a and great then, film you named after you. Any of their films, you'll see a tremendous amount of play with names. So my assistant editor uh, on Raising Arizona was um, Michael Berenbaum. John Turturro's character in the film is Bernie Berenbaum. Um, a good friend of theirs at the time uh, was a guy named John Rappo. There's a headline in a newspaper with with John Rappo's name in it. Um, yeah, this just kind of happens all the time. But in in the case of my name, I don't think it was meant to become the name of the film. It just did because they didn't ever come up with a better title. Um, so they're a playful duo. They're a couple of guys who like to have fun with what yeah. they're creating. Uh, and you can see that. I mean, it's clear in the Odyssey. I'm sure Gary uh, picks up on that uh, in, in great detail as a Homeric scholar, just that they're twisting all of these characters around and just having fun with what they were like in the original great work. Yes, and, and I want to go back to Raising Arizona because I, I jump, we've jumped ahead to Miller's Crossing. So I auditioned to, for them by cutting out the 10 minutes I've always urged them to cut out. They come back from Hollywood, haven't sold the film. And I guess they thought, well, okay, he knows how to edit. And Joel was already an editor, by the way. He had, he had co-edited The Evil Dead for Sam Raimi. Um, and, uh, but, but I think my insights into Oh Brother, Where Art Thou come from working on Raising Arizona because I had, I said earlier, they're very literary and their, their films are filled with literary and cinematic allusions. And if you recall Raising Arizona or not, um, John Goodman's character and Bill Forsyth's character uh, are the Snopes brothers. And I recognized immediately um, that they were having fun with the Faulkner characters, the Snopeses. And in their imagining of raising Arizona, these convicts who had moved out west um, were part of Faulkner's Snopes family. Um 
That's really that's really interesting and really literary on their part. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, and uh, Miller's Crossing is is all about their love of Dashiell Hammett. Uh, Blood Simple is all about their love of film noir and also uh, noir fiction. And but but it, there's nothing is pure, right? So. We have this Faulkner illusion, but the opening line of Raising Arizona is, call me high. So it was the tip-off that there will be literary illusions in this film. You know, it's it, it's their Melville illusion. Uh, there's a, a scene, and now, I'm, and I hope, I'm hoping your listeners will go and look at this. When we meet the Snopes brothers... They're in a gas station men's room, and it's the introduction of graffiti that alludes to uh, <clears throat> to Kubrick, um, to to Strangelove. Um, there are variations on the launch code, O P E. P-O-E, um, you know, uh, purity of essence, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, they're throughout the film. And, you know, and they just do that from film to film to film to film. So you you get to, and I'm being long-winded here, but you get to Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And they're in, in the middle of this homage to Homer, but there are other myths, many other myths, I think or at least several other myths that they're playing with. Mm-hmm. Um, the title is, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, is the film that that Joel McRae's character is making in Preston Sturgis, uh, <clears throat> Sullivan's Travels. Um, what else? Uh, there's... There's a tremendous Oedipal illusion that recurs several times in the film um, vis-a-vis a line from White Heat. Uh, wow. This, these, are really, these are really deep, old Hollywood references. For the listener, I mean, you're referencing films like Sullivan's Travel and White Heat, which are from the classic black and white oh, yeah. golden age of film. So it's a very deep... It's a deep dive. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, if you know White Heat, you know James Cagney plays a gangster who plans a bank heist while sitting on his mother's lap. Um, And the line that recurs several times, you know, brother, where art thou, is, come and get me, copper. Um, And I just think, oh, yeah, I went there. And, and, and Sean, you and I discussed uh, the other day when we were talking about doing this podcast how the Wizard of Oz is oh right, that's right is, is central in a way to Hollywood and the Odyssey, the, the return home. Um, and there, there's you know Joel at one point said in, in an interview when they began writing, "Oh brother, where art thou?" the source really was the Wizard of Oz. And there's so many Wizard of Oz allusions in the film. There are, there are even allusions to allusions to the Wizard of Oz. I, 
I want to, I mean, with this one, I definitely want to put this aside for a second too, because Gary and I have talked about what the Odyssey and the Iliad represent in Hollywood. I mean, one of the theories I think I've mentioned to you that I, I believe is that when you look at Hollywood's choice of how to tell its action stories, especially which stories it follows, it's chosen the template of the Iliad, which is a much more male bromance, male centric story, as opposed to exploring more of men going through the world of women, of female power, of goddesses, which is what the Odyssey is. So I'd love your take on that as well. And I'd also love to get to Gary for this as well, because Gary, you, you as someone who watches films from a classical scholar standpoint, um, you have often been critical of how things are shown in Hollywood movies. How did you feel about how the Coen brothers handled their illusions, their references, the way they played with these stories? You know, Brother, where art thou? Uh, I loved it. I thought it was a wonderful send-up of the Odyssey. And um, when George Clooney sings, uh, I'm a rambling man, you know, <laughs> because hmm. Odysseus uh, had to ramble across the ancient world to get home. And then he encounters all these similar characters, you know, like uh, Mike already, already mentioned uh, John Goodman as a cyclops. He's wearing a patch. And uh, Goodman is a Bible seller. I think that's really an interesting <laughs> aspect, you know. Um, and he, you know, he goes after him. He's a threat. And then there's a, a sequence where uh, he and his two buddies that escaped from, you know, the chain gang at the beginning of the movie, they uh, go to this river and he, they see this, these three women, uh, you know, taking a bath in, in the river. And uh, they, you know, the, the Coen brothers filmed them in slow motion. So they have this mesmerizing look to them, which is what, and they're supposed to represent the three sirens, which uh, tried to lure Odysseus to their island so they could devour him. They were uh, cannibalistic, uh, half bird, half beautiful girl uh, monsters. So that was, that was, that was a, a fun sequence. So there just, there's all these references to the Odyssey, but all these other references that Michael is mentioning, uh, some of which, by the way, I didn't know. So this is great information for me. But um, and, uh, and, and by the way, the uh, the three sirens sing this song that we didn't leave anybody behind except the baby. You know, <laughs> very funny uh, stuff. You know, throughout throughout the film, and and then uh, another thing is um, when. Uh, George Clooney and his two buddies, uh, they, they become a singing trio uh, and they become a hit on the radio. They call themselves the Soggy Mountain Boys. Um, or Soggy Bottom Boys. <laughs> uh, sorry. Soggy yeah. Bottom Boys. Yeah, interesting reference there. Um, and um, they have this black guy associated with them, but then they try to perform in front of these racist audiences, and that's a problem for the black guy, of course. Um, and, uh, and there's another, uh, reference to racism because, uh, part of their journey is they, they wind up at a Ku Klux Klan rally of, of all places. Um, and, um, 
and, and you know, and, yeah, they, and, they said they, the, the, the Coen brothers and, and definitely. The, the thing is, the Coen brothers make that sequence, uh, as Roger Ebert in his review referred to it as both uh, ominous and, and, and humorous at the same time. Yeah, you know, I I hadn't seen the film in a long time when Sean contacted me, and I watched it again, of course, to talk about it. And I I, I felt that the clan sequence was another reference to the Wizard of Oz. Um, you'd think those clansmen would be the flying monkeys, but in fact, if you listen to the sentries. Uh, in the Emerald City in The Wizard of Oz, and you listen to the musical introduction of the Klansmen, um, they're very similar. And, and I'm sure that's intentional. Um, well, let's, let's talk a little more about the, the general notion that you brought up and that Gary and I talked about on our Clash of the Titans review, which is how Hollywood uses the classical world and the template for it. And now you bring in the reference to the Wizard of Oz. So what's the Wizard of Oz's connection? I think you were starting to go into it with some of the classical stories and how do you see it brought out in film? Well, I think, you know, it is believed to be by George Lucas and, and many others the the Hollywood paradigm of the Odyssey, um, the struggle to get home, and in in the interview that I mentioned earlier uh, that Joel Cohen gave about O Brother, and he said three Schlemiels trying to get home, <laughs> um, and and so in a way that is their take on the Odyssey. Um, it, it's Dorothy and the Tin Man and the, you know, the Scarecrow. Um, and, and of course, you know, they, they believe one of their own has been turned into a toad and they need a wizard, uh, you know, brother. Um, I was going to, I was saying earlier, I think, um, you know, and, so there's this hybrid of the Odyssey and the Wizard of Oz. When they wind up at the radio station, there's this blind man who, who's you know introduces music and uh, in the film, and that's an Odyssey reference. But the shot of his shack, the, the shack that he broadcasts from, um, is actually, I believe, a, a reference to. American Graffiti and Wolfman Jack's character, um, and and that and American Graffiti, Lucas has acknowledged is an homage to the Wizard of Oz. So, the myth of coming home is really what, how Hollywood has filtered the Odyssey. Um, it, I, I find that interesting, and Gary, I, I would love for you to jump in because I know that the Odyssey, this sort of connections there are, are of course, central to your, your study. Like As I mentioned, Michael, Gary and I have talked both off on the podcast and then also just uh, off, off air, the idea of how Hollywood has chosen to filter or bring through these classical themes. And I, I have felt like they haven't utilized the Odyssey enough perhaps particularly in this case in action, but it's interesting to see your, 
your analysis of the Wizard of Oz as bringing that through. So I guess there is there is that that thread in Hollywood's filmmaking. I would like to see it more. I think it's a really interesting thread. It's it's a it's an interesting way to take the story of the journey home, but also because this is obviously dear to me and the podcast that we do on the other channel, the Make Matriarchy Great. It also allows the presence of women in film by having by taking the Odyssey as a template. When we talked about Clash of the Titans, one of the things that struck me was the 2010 version almost entirely erased the importance of the goddess that was in the 1981 version. And so what's interesting in Brother, or Brother, Where Art Thou, is you have this strong presence of women and female characters. And I think that's really interesting and also makes it a very different feel. I mean, Penny is hilarious in Oh Brother, you know, and she is, you take that kind of character and you use her in a different way. So it's interesting to hear that. I mean, Gary, what's your your thought on Wizard of Oz and the Odyssey? Uh, I actually didn't know that. I think it's great. Uh, now I understand why there's three guys, you know, and, and uh, yeah. Uh, I wasn't aware of all these references, but... Um, but it just shows you that Coen Brothers films are complex and they are literary. So uh, when they said they didn't read the Odyssey, I, I don't believe it, you know, um, because it is, to me, it's just an extremely sophisticated take on it, a very humorous take on it. And um, like Roger Ebert said that, um, um, you know, the, the clan sequence was uh, a cross between Busby Berkeley and and uh, <laughs> Triumph of the Will. <laughs> it's it's a it's a brilliant it's a brilliant uh, piece. Let, let me before I want to do a little segment before we kind of wrap things up a little bit. But I want to ask you this just for the just to wrap this aspect up, uh, Gary. We we've been giving and Michael, so you know we give our films shields rating. Five shields is a great rating for a film. So so. Gary, how many shields would you give O Brother Where Art Thou? Well, I want to tell you, um, Roger Ebert only gave it two and a half stars. Interesting. And uh, and yet he said several things about it that uh, were, were good. And uh, he's criticized in an online piece called Roger Ebert's Worst Reviews. You know? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, he, he was wrong. I, I think it's brilliant. I, I, I'd give it five. It's, it's, it's just one of my favorite films. Five shields. How about you, Michael? How many shields would you give your old pals, the Coen brothers? I, I would also give it five. But I have to say this, and, and it's interesting. I, I love Roger Ebert, and he, he's been wrong so many times, but he's also a very generous critic and a very open-minded critic. And uh, here's – I'm going to be long-winded again because you can cut this stuff. Go um, for it. Go for it. We, we're um, all about the wind, Michael. I feel... <laughs> um, when I was a kid, I would instantly love a Rolling Stones song. And the Beatles would take me a few listenings. So I, I you know, I would hear Honky Tonk Women, boom. They were hookmeisters. I loved that song. I would hear Strawberry Fields Forever, and i think, what the hell is this? Um, but three, four, five listings later, it would become amazing to me. And I think the same is 
can be true with the Coen brothers. Their films are very complex and very rich. And, and you might not immediately love the film. You know, the problem with being a reviewer for a daily newspaper, which, which Ebert was, is you have to say something about it. You were at a screening, and three hours later, you've got a deadline, and you have to deliver your review. But over the years, your opinion might change. And so giving O Brother two and a half stars, um, hell, Ebert gave a film I edited, Anaconda, five stars. <laughs> I thought at the time. I forgot Whoa. that you edited Anaconda because that's one of my favorite cult films. <laughs> just for John Voight saying, you know, John Voight's just character as the guy with the accent of South America. It's like, okay, just having John Voight do that just makes me laugh. Um, <laughs> yeah. So anyway. I could talk about that film forever. Yeah, but. we'll do that. That'll be another one. I do want to talk to you about that. That's, that'll be another podcast. But, you know, I forgive Roger his his tepid review. Um, yeah, so do I, because I, I generally agreed with Roger Ebert's reviews. You know, that, that show I love, you know, Cisco and Ebert, I generally agreed with Ebert over Cisco, if there was a difference. Yes, me too. Me too. Hmm. And so funny, I rewatched those shows. And on a very, very personal note, my, my son was just here visiting in North Carolina. And when he was a kid, you know, our weekends consisted of watching Cisco and Ebert, choosing a film to go see, going to see that film, um, and debating it endlessly. And now he's a film editor. So. That's amazing. And I, I still remember him as being a little kid. So I find that's so amazing. So, uh, all right. Well, that's great. I'm going to just weigh in because it wouldn't be fair if I didn't give you my, my rating. I'm going to give it four shields and I'm going to tell you why. I, I have a thing where I separate the great work of art in terms of, and, and it's resonance to me. So I see that it's a five shield work of art. Uh, it just doesn't hit me the way, say, uh, No Country for Old Men, just to use another Coen Brothers film, hits me now. Different kind of film entirely, of course. But I'm saying that it's like uh, your what analogy. What a great film. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's it's your analogy, Michael. It's the perfect, and I love the Stones Beatles analogy, because it's not, you know, it's, it's not something like where I hear, um, can you hear me talk, can you hear me knocking, versus hearing... Um, you know, something like uh, glass onion. You know, it's just <laughs> I'm 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 picking it up differently, and that's only that's the only difference is. Um, so, all right, now that we've done, that, I want to do I want to end with a segment. I want to give you guys a little surprise. It's going to be a little quiz show time. Wait before before you do, Sean. I just want to weigh in because I took a bunch of notes as well. Oh, sure, sure, go ahead. So, and you can cut these in or leave it out. Or I'm just going to cut it right now, Michael. Okay. Um. <laughs> But, but you know, again, the they play, the Coen brothers play in O Brother with so many myths. And okay, so, so the, the character Tommy Johnson, uh, right, is it's the crossroads. That's right. one of the great yeah. myths, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, and they've claimed that it's not Robert Johnson, um, but it's kind of that's a yeah. I mean, as a guitarist, yeah, this guy goes to crosswords, yeah. makes a pack with the devil, and comes up with the blues. 
one of the great American myths. Let me, um, let me, uh, Mike, let me tell the listener just because as a guitarist, I have to share that story. The, what Michael's referring to is Robert Johnson is considered maybe the, in a some sense, the first rock and roll star. He's the father of the blues, but so many of your great guitarists that came of age in the, the rock era reference back to Robert Johnson, American blues musician from the South who, for so long, as a player, most people didn't think he was that great a player. That's the myth, that he wasn't that good. He disappears for a while, comes back, and is blowing people away with his playing. We only have a few of his recordings, and uh, he is known as the, the father of the blues, the guy that sets the template for all the blues music you heard, which set the template for the rock and roll that you loved. So that's there in that character. And, and the myth is he went down to the crossroads and became so good he must have sold his soul so yeah and, and you know and and what a great shot in the film that that overhead shot of a of the crossroads where you where mm-hmm. you meet this character tommy johnson yeah. um and the, uh, just one more is you know you meet babyface nelson in this film oh yeah um, mm-hmm. and again one of the great crime myths um, and by the way, also, you know, in terms of being self-referential, a, the bank robbery in Oh Brother is complete callback to the bank robbery in Raising Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, but I will let you continue, Sean. No, no, I think I, I love, thank you for bringing that because it also reminds us of something important about the film. We talk about over in the Odyssey, and that's why we're, we're doing this podcast. But that film is very much about Americana and our American myths as well. So it's really, I'm glad you pointed those two out because it it does, He they picked a very specific, very deeply impactful period in American history to set it. And I think that's brilliant. That in and of itself. I'm glad you said that because I want to say one last thing sure. that goes back to something Gary said at the very, very start of this podcast. So, I, you know, I read some stuff because I knew we were doing this podcast. And I remembered that this story is set in 1937. And I thought, is there some numerological significance to that? And so I'm going to just say this. One, nine, ten-year odyssey, sacred number. Three, seven, ten, sacred number. Yes, I have to say yes. And that one doesn't have to be conscious on their part, but I I think it's real. Gary will love that. Gary? Yeah, I do. That's a great, great uh, notation there. All right. Wow. Wow. Okay, so let's... This is great. I, I, Michael, I want you to come back and do some more of these with us, by the way. Just uh, love to. throwing that out there. But let's end this with something that I'm going to call Homer or the Coen Brothers. Uh, <laughs> All right, folks, welcome to Homer or the Coen Brothers. This is going to be our game show for people really interested in understanding this wonderful movie. So, first question, I'm going to direct this to uh, Dr. Gary Stickle. Gary, our protagonist is harried by a one-eyed giant who is also a Klansman. Homer or the Coen Brothers? 
Well, um, that that's how the Coen brothers depicted him. I mean, he's he's one of the Klansmen because, you know, he has one eye and, and uh, his white hood, you know, uh-huh. uh has one hole in it. <laughs> you know, so he's identifiable. <laughs> he's identifiable. All right. So we have to give that to Gary. I need to, uh, let's see. I got to give him my, my game show bell. Let's see if we have it here. There you go. <laughs> All right. Next question. Michael. The wife of our protagonist is beset by suitors and she keeps them at bay by weaving. Homer or the Coen brothers? Oh, crap. It's Homer. All right. That's correct, Homer. (laughs) There we go. It's a slow bell. It's a slow bell. All right. But then it comes back like an echo, like strawberry. I I, I just want, you know, (laughs) the reason I said, oh, crap is. I went off into a reverie about how wonderful Holly Hunter has been in every Coen Brothers film. She is great. She is just great. I, I am a real fan of her. So, all right, Gary. All right. Our protagonist turns out to have a wonderful singing voice. Is that the Coen Brothers or Homer? That's old brother, where art thou? George Clooney. Well done. And our last question. He sailed between the Scylla and the Charybdis. Michael, Homer, or the Coen brothers? Beautiful, folks. Let's just give a big round of applause. <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. This was a lot of fun. Let's uh, big thank you to our guest, Michael Miller, cinema legend, editor extraordinaire. Thank you for joining us, Michael. Thank you for having me. It's been great fun. And to Dr. Gary Stickle, our Homeric scholar in real life, Indiana Jones. Thank you, Gary. Well, I, I learned a lot from Michael, and that's it's really great. His knowledge is very impressive. Uh, thank you all oh, for listening. Thank you, Gary, as, as is yours. This, yeah, this was a great. You guys were thank perfect you. For, the, for, the, for, this, for this. And perfect, thank you for joining us. So thank you all for listening. I am Sean Marlon Newcomb. This is the 34 Circe Salon. We are doing the classical world at the movies. This is called The Parallax. Take care.